Hey there, and welcome back. This is Elder Law Issues, the podcast of the Tucson, Arizona Elder Law Firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. And I'm the Fleming of Fleming and Curdy, Robert Fleming. And uh, well, it's not actually the Curdy; it's the Freeman of Fleming and Curdy, sitting across the table from me, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, my partner and uh, podcast co-host. You know, Robert, sometimes people think I'm your daughter. <laughs> I've never encouraged... Oh, wait, maybe I have. We have had one um, one rather poor Google review, actually. <laughs> Where somebody said that, uh, that I, I, have, I have integrity, but my daughter, Elizabeth... Fleming. Elizabeth Fleming, yeah. Right. Uh, anyway, uh, not what we came to talk about. We're going to talk about special needs trust today and the kinds of things that ought to go into a special needs trust. I, I want to be clear that today, two things. One is we're talking about Arizona law. We only really know Arizona law. And the second thing is today we're going to talk about third party special needs trust. The trust that you create for the benefit of your child or grandchild or neighbor or whatever who has a disability and who needs to continue to qualify for public benefits. What assets should go into that special needs trust? Elizabeth, what, what do you tell clients? So Robert, what I tell clients really are, are three important things. One is you need to slow down and think very carefully what you're going to have the special needs trust hold. Two, you need to remember that the special needs trust is going to provide discretion for the trustee. So if what you say is, Elizabeth, I want a income producing asset to be in the special needs trust because it will generate $1,200 of income a month, which is exactly what my daughter needs to pay her rent. I try and help people understand that the trustee is going to have discretion over distributions, which is really important for people to remember, which is important about special needs trust, right? The whole idea is that they're not required to distribute any kind of income. So number two, the trustee really has discretion about what's going to come from the special needs trust to the beneficiary. And three, don't get too cute. Don't try and engineer the perfect kinds of assets for the special needs trust because ultimately the trustee is going to be in charge of what is held in the special needs trust. So if you think that the incredible family property you have in Nantucket that your daughter who is the beneficiary of the special needs trust has never been to should be the asset in her trust, the special needs trust for a certain kind of reason, you need to remember that if you do that, you're not going to have control over how the asset is managed or the upkeep or what ultimately happens with that Nantucket house. It's going to be the trustee. So I, I talk to clients about those things, Robert, and then I just ask them, what, are, what is in your opinion the types of assets that you want to have in the trust? And what most people say, Robert, is, well, I know that my daughter or son, the beneficiary of the special needs trust, is not able to manage assets. So I want to put assets that can be managed very easily in the special needs trust. And I say, that's great. And then they say, like 25% of the interest that I have in this family business. <laughs> yeah, as, and as people, some people realize, we often act as trustee of special needs trusts and other kinds of trusts. And that's what makes me chuckle. I hate those trusts that we get in as trustee, that we are a one quarter owner of a business over which we have no control. And all we can do is say, please make a distribution, we need cash. Or 
uh, feel free to hold on to it, but uh, but I need to know more about what you're doing in the business, um, and uh, and that's frustrating for the family, the other members of the family business. So I think you're right. Family businesses, closely held corporations, don't in a general way make great special needs trust assets. Unique I'll, real estate. Unique real estate. And and so long as we're doing real estate, let me do my particular thing that I talk to clients again and again about. Clients come in and say, well, um, we have three kids and uh, and we're still living in the three-bedroom house that we lived in while the kids were growing up. And the other two have, have gone off and they're professionals, they're working and, and they live out of town. But this is the only ha- home that Chad, our son, has ever known. And so when we die, we want Chad to be able to stay in the house. And I have to stop him and say, okay, so let's do some quick math. You have a three-bedroom house in the foothills. What are your property tax bills every year? What is the upkeep on that house? Exactly how do you envision that Chad is going to live alone in that house without you there to do all the things that you do for him now? Are one of his siblings going to move back and live in the house and, and, and replace you? Because a significant cost of taking care of Chad that you have been incurring is your time and energy. And after you've died, we're going to have to replace that. So in the real world, it's pretty high likelihood that Chad is not going to live in the house that he grew up in. You need to be thinking about, uh, about how, you're going to, um, how you're going to react and plan for that if, if Chad is going to move. Maybe Chad is going to go live with his brother or his sister in another state. Maybe Chad is going to go, and I know people say, I'd never want him in an institution. Well, but maybe he's going to go into a group home with two or three other um, younger people who have a similar disability. Uh, Maybe he's going to blossom in one of those settings. And Robert, I think that 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 note about Chad being able to connect or blossom in a different kind of setting is is a really delicate point to raise in these meetings because oftentimes people really can't imagine that adult child living anywhere else. What I like, Robert, in your hypothetical, which I'm going to just add myself, is the house in the foothills where Chad is comfortable, where he has been for a long time, plus $500,000. I like like that scenario much better because it then gives the trustee, whoever is going to be honored with that role, time to think through what really, what makes sense here? You know, having Chad move right away may not be the best plan, but what I like is when people will provide enough liquidity to give a runway for some of these conversations. And if the house in the foothills is worth, let's say, $700,000, and you're going to ask for an additional half million, and what you want to do is treat the three kids equally, that means you have to start with about a $5 million estate in order to accomplish just giving the house to Chad. And and so I'm frequently trying to get people to rethink what it is they think is going to happen after they both die, because it's usually a married couple who are doing this planning, um, and, and the realities of how much it's going to cost to keep Chad living where he has been living all his life. And it may not be the best thing for him without you around to, to continue to take care of him. Now, it might be that Chad can live in that house and, uh, and the Division of Developmental Disabilities, uh, if, if Chad has a developmental disability, can arrange for one or two other people to live in the house. But 
it's already not the house he grew up in if he's got two roommates and a full-time caretaker on site. So things are going to change. Just accept when you die, things are going to change. And, uh, and don't try to continue everything exactly the same after your death because it's not going to happen. And Robert, we see this time and time again, not only with real estate or family business interests. I mean, the family business interests that people don't realize is they're considering all of this. So if you have a disabled adult child, 25% of the business interest is held in a special needs trust. Well, and it's a family business, and then all of a sudden, maybe the trustee is not a family member. (laughs) That introduces a whole nother level sometimes of complications for families. And as you mentioned, you know, we try our best to work with folks in these scenarios to try and be amenable, come up with the plan, follow the intent of the documents. And I think that folks, when they get too concerned or too controlled about what goes in and imagining their death, um, that makes things hard on everybody, especially the other children who really love and care about their sibling who may have a disability and and um, have ideas of their own how to help that sibling. That's one of the beautiful things sometimes we see, Robert, is we see these adult siblings really stepping up to provide support after a parent has died if, if they've got a sibling who needs a little extra help. So there are opportunities, I think, to, to be optimistic in these scenarios. But talking about what's going to go into the special needs trust is really important. I think that it, it also touches me, Robert, when I talk to people who have had stock that has been passed down for generations, right? You know, a particular type of stock, whether it's IBM or Exxon, or nowadays people have, you know, Amazon. Well, the thing is, is that when we look at the different tax issues and we look at the the basis issues when we consider stock and how it's passed along, you cannot rely on the fact that if you've had one single holding in your portfolio and you die and pass along that holding that the trustee is not going to diversify actually. So that's the other kind of tender thing is when we see people very intentional about a particular investment that they want the trust to hold because they want to carry it on for another generation. Here's another big one. People often agonize about whether to put their retirement account into the special needs trust or an equivalent amount of cash and or to divide each asset equally among the three children and give a third of the retirement account to the special needs trust and a third of the cash. And that's a really hard calculation to make because the retirement account has a different value to Chad's special needs trust than it has to the other kids. If the other kids are in high earning uh, professions and they get a retirement account, they're going to have to cash it out in 10 years. And, uh, and they're going to have to start taking, may have to start taking a little bit of it right away. So if they are already up in the higher income tax brackets, that means that they could be paying 37% of whatever they take out of that retirement account in federal taxes, plus whatever in, in state taxes. And, uh, and so it's not as valuable to them as it is to Chad, who may be able to stretch it out. But on the other hand, if Chad is going to need a lot of care, then that means that the money actually has to come out of the retirement account for Chad's care. And so the advantage that, that he has in receiving uh, retirement be- benefits kind of evaporates. And on the other hand, again, if he, even if he gets to stretch it out, he's still going to probably pay some tax on the 
the retirement account distributions. And so it doesn't have a dollar for dollar value to him. So it's really hard to figure out exactly what the future might look like, exactly how, uh, how beneficial the retirement account is to each of the people. And the hardest part is if you're interested in equality or equilibrium or fairness between the three kids, it's extremely difficult to figure out how much of the retirement versus other assets versus the, the closely held stock or the, the highly concentrated stock or the house ought to go into each of their shares. And Robert, maybe this should be a future podcast topic. Nothing is ever equal. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. And so I, I often try on clients, okay, you want to benefit your two children who are professionals. You say they don't need your money, but you don't want to disinherit them because you don't want the, them to feel like you don't love them. How about this? How about if we leave your entire estate for Chad's benefit and upon Chad's death, everything goes to your kids or their kids, your other kids or their kids. And, um, you know, in a particular set of facts, Chad is not too likely to get married or have kids himself. So um, that way you can say to your other children, no, no, we've got you covered. In fact, we've done some estate planning for you. We've extended the, the uh, inheritance off to, uh, to your kids so it doesn't increase the size of your estate still benefits your side of the family and it gives your kids an incentive to be involved in Chad's life I hope in a favorable way that that idea I often float it and seldom do I get takers I like it Robert it's it's one other way of looking at this puzzle and I hope that people who are listening today send us your questions send us your ideas a lot of people will listen to our podcast Robert and and you and I are sitting here trying to figure out, you know, what my interest folks, but today I think we hit a couple important topics, not only what to put in trust, but particularly special needs planning, how that can really affect families. And, and I think a lot of this really takes a lot more time than just an initial 60 minute or 90 minute consultation. It, it merits quite a bit of thought. You know, I, I, before we sign off for, for this episode, I just want to say that this is a pretty good illustration of the value that a qualified attorney brings to the estate planning process. This isn't about the language of documents. It isn't about the selection of documents. This is a conversation about your actual plan, what your vision is. And and we have a fair amount of experience and and very specialized background that we can bring to that conversation. We really do add value and encourage you to, to share with us completely what your dreams, concerns, hopes, and fears are so that we can help you get through this estate planning process. Well, on that happy note, I'm Robert Fleming. I've been chatting with Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. We are two of the partners at Fleming and Curdy PLC, a Tucson, Arizona elder law firm. This podcast is called Elder Law Issues precisely because we deal with issues that affect elders and the law, and uh, we hope you will join us again next time for our next episode. Thanks.